Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
первое послание Тимофею. The first book of Timothy, chapter six, verses five through eight. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. It's interesting how this place of scripture can be interpreted for the emissaries of Mammon, by the emissaries of Mammon who yell and scream that we must be rich, we must be content and so forth. Scripture says that these are people with distorted minds and they are people who follow after them will be the same. If we think that leading a godly life, we earn material success, then scripture defines us, as you can see, as those with a distorted mind and those who are unaware of the truth. To be godly and content, it is necessary to destroy our relationship with people in the likeness of this, and it says, from such withdraw yourself. Freedom from, or rather withdrawing yourself from such people opens the door to true joy that is based on eternal and spiritual values of the riches of Christ that are given to us in the riches of the faith of God. Here it says that we came into this physical world that was made by God and we did not bring anything of material value. And when we leave it and when we are going to move on to a world of more of a high order, we won't be able to carry anything out from this world because earthly goods mean nothing there. They can't even be brought there because they are a different quality, they are of a different dimension. And therefore, we are here to obtain godliness and joy. It's not godliness that is called to be the means for gaining money, but our correct use of money in order to gain godliness and joy. Our correct use of this money that God has given us and has given us the opportunity to earn so that we can gain godliness and joy. This does not mean that for money we can gain godliness and joy, but this means that our correct relationship and our use of money is godliness. When we are taught how to rejoice in what is what in the little, we are able to we are going to be interested more than we can imagine for ourselves. Matthew 25:23 says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things enter into the joy of your Lord. To be joyful in the little means to live according to those means that God has entrusted to us and to search for what is heavenly that contains unfading riches because our ability to live by what is 
heavily is contained in the sphere of our thinking. When we meditate on things of the earth, we are headed in the direction of eternal torment. Romans chapter 8 talks more about this. Chapter 8, verses 7 3. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. So if we care for the things that are of the carnal mind, Scripture says that this is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 8. So, people who think of what is material and how to earn more money or how to obtain more money, they live according to the flesh and cannot please God. When we meditate over what is heavenly, we are headed in the direction of eternal bliss and peace that allows us to build or sell them to the house of God. Our meditations, meditations about how to attain godliness in God, when we do so, we are going to enter into the sphere of abundance and success. Meditating over how we gain godliness, in order for us to then obtain a material abundance, we are going to end up in spiritual bankruptcy. It is our decision to meditate upon these things or not. By offering our tithes and offerings to God, we acknowledge God's authority over us, worship Him, and express to Him our love, and we gain supernatural authority over money. Authority over money is the ability to live according to God, to live in God and live for God. And God receives the opportunity to give us success in all spheres of our life and protect us. And let us remember that this does not mean that this success is going to be always accompanied with material abundance. There's going to be time for everyone in, 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 your, in, in his life where God is going to test him with a lack of material to see whether or not he's going to search for God or not. When Satan said to God about Job, when Job had boasted before him, he said, you have went through the whole land, have you paid attention to this person? He is righteous and blameless, Satan said. Of course he is righteous and blameless, because he has riches, blessings, like no one else in the land. You had blessed him, you had protected him. And he says, well, try to take this away. Is he going to praise you or not? And then God said, please, take it away and let's, and let's see. God allows Satan. Satan had in one day destroyed all of Job's material. Job's whole material state. And Job said, Blessed is God. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. See, when a person loves the Lord, he doesn't stumble. Lord, why? Lord, why did I crash my car? Why did I lose my job? Why did I get demoted? Why can't I find a job that I want? 
God wants us in these circumstances to begin to search for Him. These circumstances are unique because they give a person the opportunity to draw closer to God. And then he begins to understand the value between what is material and what is spiritual. And he begins to thank and say to God, Lord, I thank you that this can be taken away from me, but you can never be taken from me. That's why David, having been the richest person in his time, said that for him, it is a great, the great gain for him is the word of God, because it is sweeter than honey, and that he prefers the word of God over all the material goods. When we make a decision, to live this way. And this is a decision. It's not an emotion. It's a decision. Emotion will then follow us. Then we are going to correctly worship God in tithes and offerings. Not searching for what is material, but searching for communication with God. We are going to serve God tithes and offerings. Worship Him in tithes and offerings. Honor Him in tithes and offerings. Express our love and acknowledge His authority. And we are going to sing together. This is the moment when we cut the root of all evil, which is love for money, and we will remember that if the root of all evil is love for money, then authority over money is the root of all good. And this authority we express when we separate tithes and offerings from our home and honor God in His house. Let us stand, let us sing. And let the Lord, may the Lord bless us in this unique service. Each time Israel had honored God in tithe, with tithes and offerings, he was called to, according to the words of Moses that he had received from God, to raise his hands over his offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years, we, being that same Israel tied to that same root, drinking from the fruit of the same olive tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I do not give impurely, I do not give in sorrow, and I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority and according to your word. I ask you, let your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
Жить о злачных меня. 
Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture, which continues to keep great depth and the unknown, the unknown wisdom of God that He has placed into His principles for His bride, for His remainder, Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. From this, place of scripture we have called this sermon called to perfection from this artistic statement we can conclude that those that are called and those who can be sons of the Heavenly Father are that category of people that are in accordance to the requirements of his perfection looking at the commanding verb that you may be Je Jesus addressed specifically to his disciples we see that the position of a student serves as confirmation that we are the sons of God therefore fulfilling this great in its essence commandment will identify from the multitude of people the call to salvation the descendants of the Heavenly Father that belong to the small flock chosen and beloved by God we see this in the many statements of Christ which with which he often finished his parables about the kingdom of heaven for I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper for few, many are called, but few are, few are chosen, Luke 14, 24, and Luke 13, 23, and 24. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. There are a lot of places of scripture like this. Don't deceive yourself and convince yourself that many will be saved. Only those who will enter through the narrow gate and those 
who will search themselves and how they will search and, and test themselves, examine themselves how or what path they're walking in. With all of this, it is necessary to make clear entry into the category of the called and entry into the category of the chosen from beginning to the end is the conscious and willing choice of man. To be a part of the category of the chosen, there is a price to lose your nation, your house, and your sinful conduct passed down to you. That category of the saved that are in resistance and forsake these requirements cling themselves to the category of the called, and doing so identify themselves and condemn, condemn themselves to perish. Linked to the path that leads us to perfection, we have been studying the path that leads us to God as to our groom in the symbolic story of the path of Rebecca to Isaac. And I've been studying the signs presented in the Bride of the Lamb. Rebecca presented these signs in the virtues of the lilies of the valleys, upon which we are called to look, so that collaborating with the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit, we then form ourselves into the image of perfection that is in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. To consider the lilies is a command. Luke 12, 27 through 32. Consider the lilies how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. <clears throat> Considering the lilies means to seek the kingdom of heaven and doing so dress into the perfection of the heavenly father. And for this reason or this purpose, we turn to the unique relationship of the most beautiful of women and her beloved, whose state and function of the heart identifies the virtues of the lily of the valleys that represent in her heart the kingdom of heaven that has come in strength. <clears throat> we have been studying this relationship in the allegories that are presented in the book of the Songs of Solomon. We see the requirements of the most beautiful of women to look at unseen goals, these unseen goals being the virtues of her beloved. Because based upon the words of Scripture, unseen goals, upon which we are called to look in the virtues of God, in the unity of all of his commandments presented in the life dynamic of the growing lily are eternal. At the same time, seen or physical goals reflecting materialistic success, blissfulness, and fame are temporary. We being children of God, when we pay our attention and look at physical or seen goals, they transform us from worshippers of God into idol worshippers, and in result, we then yield a harvest of eternal dishonor, shame, and wilting. Obedience to the preached word is impossible without looking upon this word. Therefore, the principle of looking is the act of one of the most powerful methods and principles of sowing into the soil of our heart. Those <clears throat> objects, when we look at these unseen objects in God, we sow, we are conceived by them, by the seeds of the word of God that we hear. 
And so those objects that we look upon with desire are sown into the soil of our heart and produce fruit that transforms our essence into the nature of that object. Therefore, when we look at unseen goals in the dynamic of the growing lily that contains within itself the kingdom of the law of grace, they transform us into the image of the sons of God and produce an eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The object of the study of our unseen goals that are contained in the virtues of God, in the specific requirement and commandment, is the requirement to look at the covered process of life that flows in the dynamic of the growing lily. We note that the growth of the lily is the manifestation of life, of resurrection in the body of a holy person, which becomes possible due to the death of the seed of the planted lily. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. 2 Corinthians 4, 10, 11. It's talking about the process the quality of a person or the ability of a person to be in the death of Jesus Christ and to be in his resurrection at the same time. The death of the Lord in us is the seed of the lily that has been fertilized in the soil of our heart. At the same time, the life of Jesus inside of our body is the fruit that has been grown from the seed, the fruit being the lily of the valley. The beauty of the lily is one of the imperishable virtues of the Heavenly Father, revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ, as well as those people born from God in Christ Jesus that have grown the seed of the lily into full measure of growth in Christ. Songs of Solomon 2.1.2, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. God talks about himself, that he has these virtues of the lily of the valley. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. He talks about his most beautiful of women. He describes her as she has the same virtues as he does. The natural beauty of the lily and the virtues of the bride of the lamb are contrasted to the throne, uh, to the thorns, the nature of the other daughters, attempting to claim the calling of the bride and the attention of her groom. Defining thorns, these are the cares of this generation, where a person looks upon seen or visual goals, these goals being materialistic success, which chokes the seed of the kingdom of heaven in the death of the Lord Jesus, and it is sometimes without fruit. This is specifically why the other daughters claiming the status of the bride and the attention of the beloved are in the likeness of these thorns, because their goals, the object that they look upon, became seen materialistic prosperity, or it could be anointing or gifts of the Holy Spirit or blessings, those things that are visual and those things that are in this life that can be sensed here. In heaven, we will not need anointing or the gifts of the Holy Spirit or blessings because there will be the anointer, the blesser, and the giver. And we will not be sick there, so we will not have any uh, need to have these gifts. 
The image of the lily in the heart of a person is the result of looking upon the unseen goals that are contained in the virtues of the Heavenly Father. The result of us looking at unseen goals is the fruit of eternal life, which is the kingdom of heaven, that has come into full strength, that was previously received into the good soil of our heart in the form of the seed of the death of Christ Jesus. <coughs> we concluded that we are created by God with such a purpose and such abilities, looking at specific goals, be they positive or negative goals, we are transformed into their essence and their image. <clears throat> the essence of our abilities is that we are unable to look at two battling between themselves and rising up against each other goals at the same time. This is <clears throat> this, the seen and wilting and the unseen and eternal. Before looking at two battling between themselves goals, we, as people, given sovereign rights, need to make a choice, a choice benefiting either the seen and perishable or benefiting the unseen and imperishable. Here is what the Word of God says about this, Deuteronomy 30, 19, 20, and there are a lot of places like this. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Deuteronomy 30, 19, 20. <clears throat> Therefore, to choose eternal life and be dressed into its power, we need to not forget and always focus our mind upon the unseen virtues of God in this, in this situation, the dynamic of life that flows in the growing lily. Because unseen goals, being imperishable wealth, present the interests of eternal life in God and with God. At the same time, seen or visual goals, these being perishable wealth, present the interests of eternal death in Satan and with Satan. To look upon unseen goals means not to look back or not turn back once you know the path of righteousness. <clears throat> the many meanings and many functions of life that, is con that are contained in the unseen virtues of the growing lily call to identify the nature of good work in Christ that we are called to fulfill when serving God is the, our purpose and blessed destiny in God. <clears throat> the image of the growing lily is the image of a person that possesses a wise heart due to the fact that he accepted the mind of Christ. We came to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit hurts or tends a man with a wise heart between the lilies upon the condition that this person converses with other people that are like him, dressed into, into the virtues of the lilies of the valley. <clears throat> He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Proverbs 13:20. Foolish people hope and trust upon the abilities of their intellect and are identified in Scripture as corrupt company. The Scripture called those who rely upon their mind as foolish. 1 Corinthians 15:33. Do not be deceived, evil company corrupt good habits. 
Therefore, to determine and examine ourselves whether we belong to the family of the lily as well as if we are part of the one who tends or herds us and among what truths we are being tended or herded, it is necessary to have a full understanding of those qualities and characteristics that are given to the most beautiful of women in the virtues of the lily of the valleys written in the book of the Songs of Solomon. It is necessary to have a full understanding of those qualities and characteristics that are given to the one who herds or more accurately the one who is, who is our shepherd. And it is necessary to have a full understanding of those qualities and characteristics written in the Songs of Solomon that, ident that identify those people amongst whom the uh, beloved tends us. In a particular format, as much as the Lord has allowed and the measure of our faith, we have already studied a series of allegories that contain signs that identify the image of the Bride of the Lamb in the virtues of the Lily of the Valley, and have been studying one of the signs contained in the book of the Songs of Solomon in the dialogue of the most beautiful of women with her beloved. Uh, let us remember this place of scripture, Songs 5, 2 through 5. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved, he knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. It's talking about the latch. <coughs> What is this hand that can stretch through this latch of the door? This is, of course, a proverb. I rose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. <coughs> We note that in the given place of Scripture, the dialogue of the most beautiful of women with her beloved Lord reveals the sacred relationship of the holy people, also their, their coming meeting with the Lord when he appears on the, in the air, serving for these peop holy people as evidence of their readiness to meet with him. Therefore, if we truly have loved the coming of the Lord, then it will be necessary for us to reveal and examine ourselves whether we are ready to meet with him in the air when he appears for those who wait for him in salvation in their heart and to yield and identify the specific signs in the dialogue of the most beautiful of women and her Lord serving as evidence that she is ready to meet uh, her Lord in the air we thanks to the revelation of the Holy Spirit studying the dialogue in Hebrew presented a more expanded or elaborate version I am submerged into the death of my Lord, in which I have died for my nation, for my house, and for my corrupt desires. But my inner person in the resurrection of my Lord is vigilant in prayer. Here is the calling cry of my beloved that by the knock upon my door proclaims the ability to use his right to the power to reveal his strength in the works of righteousness. Now open to me, my sister, overfilled with my peace, one that does not have evil in her heart, my beloved friend and one that is loved by me, incomparable with any, my dove, my pure one, one without blemish or wickedness because the authority that represents me sent by me to you is overfilled with the words of life and the power of my spirit and the people that follow after them die for sin so that they may live for righteousness and perform righteousness <coughs> the delegated people that God sends and those who follow 
I have taken off the robe of the old sinful man with, the de- with his deeds collaborating my cross with the cross of Christ and do not desire to be dressed in him anymore because I have allowed my feet to be washed admitting my sins before the sons of my mother. I also wash their feet forgiving their sins and do not desire to defile my feet again by sinning against the sons of my mother. My beloved for evidence of his love has stretched out his hand to me because of the offering which I presented, testifying of my respect towards God and called me to liberty from the dependence of my old man with his deeds and has given me the strength to restrain my mouth and placed a guard over my mouth. And my inside began to worry when he began to act. I arose from ruins of death by the power of his resurrection and I cast off the burden of the old law so that the beloved would be able to carve upon the tablets of my heart the words of the New Testament that would be able to clothe me into his righteousness so that my mouth would be able to be filled with fragrant praise and the words of my mouth like myrrh would produce incense from the four horns of the golden altar of incense this is of course for those people that have a temple in their heart that have this altar of incense that have the holy place the holy of holies that have the ark of the covenant have this lamp have the golden uh, table of showbreads in this dialogue we paid attention to five moments and these are the most beautiful of women confessing her state as a whole the voice of the beloved that being the response to her state the first reaction of the most beautiful of women to the voice of the beloved the behavior of the beloved in response to the most beautiful of women and the second reaction of the most beautiful of women to the behavior of her beloved in the previous services we have already studied two moments and have been studying the third and important moment but before we continue we will shortly remind ourselves of the first two the first moment I am submerged into the baptism into the death of my Lord in which I died for my nation my house and my corrupt desires but my inner person in the resurrection of my Lord is vigilant in prayer we came to the conclusion that in this place of scripture the most beautiful of women confesses the faith of her heart that identifies the state of her heart as well as her state as a whole in which she is submerged into the death of the Lord Jesus but where her heart is vigilant in prayer in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus the word vigilant is to be sober to be able to judge to be awake to stay away from sin to lean away from evil to hallow your dedication to watch for the signs of the times to watch after the will of God that it be fulfilled to stand guard of the interests of the Lord The second moment here in the elaborated place of scripture, here is the calling cry of my beloved that by the knock upon my door proclaims the ability to use his right to the power to reveal his strength in the works of righteousness. Now upon, now open to me, my sister, overfilled with my peace, one that does not have evil in her heart, my beloved friend, and one that is loved by me, incomparable with any, my dove, my pure one, one without blemish or wickedness. If you can imagine how the Lord calls us, how he sees us in Jesus Christ, because the authority that represents me sent by me to you is overfilled with the words of life and the power of my spirit and the people that follow after them died for sin so that they may live for righteousness and perform righteousness we came to the conclusion that the hand of the beloved are the delegated representative representatives of God that are filled with 
revelations about his strength, the people of God and God's chosen remainder that followed them. If God's chosen people do not follow after this person, he is not God's delegated person. People often say that they're sent, but they can't show the uh, flock that they attend. I see uh, the so-called previous pastors that came here from other countries and <clears throat> and so they carry all kinds of <clears throat> signs and and they and they uh, dress in a different way uh, as the Catholics would will dr- put little shirts on with that. A white uh, collar and so when a person uh, as he's a Pentecost was elected by people and he came here and it is already dressing in this way in this manner the children of God do not follow after this person and he can't uh, present evidence that he is uh, tending the flocks of God if he tends the flocks of God uh, God's remainder will follow this person that God places, of course, the chosen. And as we noted uh, previously, the, la- the latch of the door through which the beloved stretched his hand is a living sacrifice. That is how the most beautiful of women presented herself before the Lord. This latch of the door is the sacrifice where a person becomes a living sacrifice. The third moment in the elaborated version, we see the response of the most beautiful of women to the revel- to the revelation of God that she received through the latch of the door and the dew and the drops. As we together have now understood that the latch of the door through which the beloved stretched his hand is presenting yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for his wise service and to offer yourself as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God for the most beautiful of women it was necessary to take off her from herself this robe of the sinful man with its with his deeds I've taken off the robe of the old sinful man with his deeds collaborating my cross with the cross of Christ and do not desire to be dressed in him anymore because I've allowed my feet to be washed admitting my sins before the sons of my mother I also wash their feet, forgiving their sins. If you do not admit uh, that you are guilty when you're when you're washing the feet, this is a symbol washing the feet that you forgive. You sin, uh, you sin. We sin against each other, and we come to God and say, "Lord, forgive me." But the Lord comes to you and says, you haven't sinned against me, you've sinned against your brother, your sister, your mother, your pastor. Go to that person and ask forgiveness. And when they forgive you, then this forgiveness, with this forgiveness, he will wash your feet. This is what it means to wash your feet. And so she says, I have allowed my feet to be washed, admitting my sins before the sons of my mother. I also wash their feet, forgiving their sins, and do not desire to defile my feet again by sinning against against the sons of my mother. We note that in Hebrew, I have taken off my robe means to tear off the skin uh, from a living animal. And so the phrase, I have taken off this robe, I've allowed my skin to be removed to uh, lose my previous form of life. When an offering was brought to God, uh, it was first slaughtered, then the skin was removed, then they... uh, removed its legs and washed the insides and laid it upon the altar and split into pieces uh, and all of this was burned upon the wood 
But here we see a person that is is brings himself alive as he is he is alive and his skin is removed and his legs are washed in his insides and he is live still alive he's laid upon the altar. <coughs> And this person will put on humility. With this humility, he will receive the ability to admit his sins before the sons of his mother and forgive the sins that are of the of the sons that have been done against him. And he will be able to remove this robe of the sinful man. Carry our cross with the cross of Christ. We need to understand the meaning of collaborating our cross with the cross of Christ. And to refresh our mind, how to collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ, where we see the ability to remove this uh, robe of the sinful man from ourselves, to present ourselves as, to God as a living sacrifice for his good, uh, good use and his good work, we turn to the requirements and commandments that are written in scripture that explain our collaborating our cross with the cross of Christ. It was necessary for us to remember what abilities and specific differences are there between our cross and the cross of Christ. And based upon what principles is our cross able to and is called to collaborate with the cross of Christ? Otherwise, having the ability to mix our faith with uh, with the faith of God, we will not be able to know or we will not know what truth we need to mix or be obedient to. By what signs or based upon what principles is our cross able to and is called to collaborate with the cross of Christ? Understanding these questions will allow us carrying our cross to collaborate with the cross of Christ. And doing this will allow us to cast off our robe and wash our, our feet. As much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we have already studied the essence of the cross of Christ and our cross. And we looked at the differences of our cross and the cross of Christ. And I've been looking at the second question based upon what principles is our cross able to and is called to collaborate with the cross of Christ? Or what price is to be paid for the right to be able to collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ and to be able to identify the principles that we are to collaborate with we turn to those uh, examples in scripture where we see these principles the image of the cross of Christ as we talked about are the 12 stones that were placed at the bottom of Jordan that testified of victory over death in the 12 stones that were taken from the bottom of Jordan uh, and and taken on land. Our cross are the 12 stones that were built, that built the altar of the Lord. As upon the cross, a living sacrifice was brought. Same thing on the altar, because upon the cross, the cross is the altar that the sacrifice was brought upon. <clears throat> the 12 stones of the altar, as we know, are the goals or motives of the human heart, the will to know the perfect will of God. And the living sacrifice that is upon this altar is the means that is used for reaching this goal or motive. The first living sacrifice <clears throat> that presented itself upon this altar that that is a symbol of the cross was Jesus who revealed for us with his living sacrifice path to the inheritance of his blood. 
And so the living sacrifice presented upon the altar of 12 stones is the key to the inheritance that is contained in the blood of the cross of Christ. In the New Jerusalem, the symbol of the living sacrifice upon the altar from 12 stones were the 12 pearly gates that were the, are the key to the inheritance of the blood of Christ that is presented in the New Jerusalem in the tree of life that bears fruit 12 times and bears a fruit every month and the leaves for the healing of the nations. And so to inherit the treasures that are in the blood of Jesus Christ that is that tree of life that bears fruit 12 times we looked at the 12 names of the tribes of the uh, 12 names of the tribes of Israel and the definitions of their names that and the definitions are what we need to collaborate with revelation 21 10 through 21 and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. And names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl and so uh, as you know uh, the pearl is a, uh, is the result of suffering of a mollusk and it begins to uh, suffer and begins to coat whatever has fallen into it uh, with this pearl and the bigger uh, the pearl the greater the the price of her suffering the suffering that she had to overcome and so the 12 uh, gates are the unity of 12 qualities that this uh, living sacrifice is made of. And the 12 names of the tribes of Israel written upon these 12 pearly gates are the 12 principles placed uh, and given to us so we may understand how to collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ. And so, of course, these can't be presented separately, and so you can't receive them separately. You have to receive them all together because they uh, support one the other and confirm one the other. And so the names written upon these pearly gates identify the quality of that gate because in Revelation it's written, written that on every one of these gates there are 12 angels and 12 names of the tribes of Israel but it's not written on what gate, what name but in the prophet Ezekiel it's explained what gates, what names were written on what gate. Studying the names of the tribes of Israel written upon the pearly gates and identifying the requirement uh, that we are to collaborate with, to collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ. We came, we, we have been concentrated not on the patriarchs themselves or the meanings of the gates themselves, but the names of uh, the meaning of the name of the patriarch, where we see our inheritance in Jesus Christ and the requirements by which we collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ. And we need to remember that identifying the pearly gate within our heart is 
the measuring wreath with the mind of Christ that is done through the instruction of faith. In the previous service, we had already studied six of those principles or names of collaborating across with the cross of Christ, the name, uh, tw- uh, six names of the sons of Jacob. And we will continue to study the next so that we not lose our precious time. The next side in Prophet Ezekiel are the three per- are the three pearly gates on the southern side of the New Jerusalem. Ezekiel 48:33, and on the south side, measuring 4,500 cubits, three gates, one gate for Simeon, one gate for Issachar, and one gate for Zebulun. The seventh name written upon the pearly gate presented on the southern side of the side is the name Simeon, the second son of Jacob, whose name means to hear. Genesis 29:33. Then she conceived again, Leah, and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me the son, this son also. And he, she called his name Simeon. <clears throat> the principle... Based upon we need to uh, cl- uh, that we need to understand and collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ is to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our heart and be heard by God. <clears throat> if we don't have this ability, we will not be able to collaborate in carrying our cross with the cross of Christ. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit within our heart and to be heard by God depends on fulfilling specific requirements where you perform the works of God. The works of God in their purpose and beginning and their identification are completely different than the works that a man does. If we present the full text uh, of what we're studying right now, where we see the meaning of the name Simeon, that principle we need to use in collaborating our cross with the cross of Christ, then it begins with the wor- the words, I know your works. Written in Revelation 3.15, I know your works, the works of, of someone. And so when, when it says the angel, where it's written in Revelations, it says I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot where it says and the angel of the church of the Leodicodians and so when it says angel this is not the angel this is Apostle John Uh, Apostle John turns to this uh, servant that was in this church or in this place um, and he tells him these words that I know your works the works of this man and those people that followed him, the many thousands of people who followed him, were not in accordance to God's will. He says, I know your works. And so this is why they were not able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in their heart, and God was not able to hear their prayers. 
Further, it says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Revelation 3:15 through 16. In other words, you will no longer hear my words. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. More than once we noted that to be hot is to be living for God or to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart and when we call to God to be heard by God. That is what it means to be hot and to be cold is to be dead for sin or to be deaf for all voices that come that don't come from God. To be lukewarm is to be in your eyes, wealthy and not having any need. That is to be self-sufficient and not enough in God, but self-sufficient, independent from God. In God's eyes, to be lukewarm is to be wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And so to be lukewarm is to be deaf for the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart and to receive the voice of the flesh behind which there's the voice of deception as the voice of the Holy Spirit. You can find many of these kinds of preachers today that say the Holy Spirit told me, the Lord Holy Spirit revealed to me, I responded, the Holy Spirit is revealing to me right now, but the person sitting and so they they begin to speak different kinds of things saying the Holy Spirit has revealed it I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and the shame and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see and so this gold that uh, gold that is refined the white garments a person clothed in uh, in the garments of justification and the eye salve are the word of God that is cleansed from the chaff of human of the human intellect and written upon the human heart. This word is not given freely. It is necessary to be purchased. Pay to be able to have this word. Pay a specific price. This price is the humility of a person in accepting the person that God sends from whom we can receive this refined gold, these white garments, and I salve. For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 Through them, all the promises of God are given that are in Jesus Christ, yes and amen, and are given only through us, as Apostle Paul says. The delegated people of God do not place themselves and do not and are, and are not elected by vote. They are placed by other leaders or, as an exception to the rule, are placed as a casted lot when people do not accept anyone. And so the work of God's... The works of God are... The works of God themselves, John 6, 28, 29. Then they said to him, to Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Talking about the delegation of God, God 
Jesus meant himself, but when the time came to leave his disciples and to return to his father, he passed on his delegation to his disciples. John 20, 21 through 23. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this thing, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And so the disciples received the same authority to forgive sins and to retain sins. No one can, not everyone can do this. Be careful confessing your sins to your friends, to your best friend, to your never ever tell your pain and suffering to your friend and because when you tell your pain uh, to a friend then you've freed yourself from it and it becomes easier for you and you have no need to come to God but your friend is not that delegation your friend listening from you your pain it came upon or has moved over on them and they now will suffer and they can't do anything anymore with this you sometimes tell your sins and your sins then pass on to these people and these sins then uh, uh, then these uh, people commit these very sins people who have received uh, confession from other people they then commit the same sins they were, that were confessed to them only the delegated people of God can do this and not those who place themselves and returning to our text that we've been studying we see that the Holy Spirit will knock into our heart through the instruction of faith by the voice of God's delegated people as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent when the delegated people of God correct us and reveal to us the works of the flesh that we so call the works of God then that means that God still loves us and that he has not abandoned or left us because when he stops correcting the teachers that we've elected if they begin to deceive us then that means God has left us and has placed us upon the slippery slopes as we just as we on skates are sliding straight to hell instead of uh, <coughs> having the morning be renewed for you. And so zeal to heal the voice of God within your heart, the voice of the Holy Spirit, in the voice of the delegated person of God, it, you need to be zealous and repent this is the strong desire to reject the works of the flesh as we call the works of God behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him and he with me in the words if anyone hears my voice and opens the door we see the principle that is contained in the name Simeon <coughs> that needs to be applied or used when you, when you <coughs> collaborate your cross with the cross of Christ. The phrase, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me, talks about the collaboration of our cross with the cross of Christ, and the result of such a collaboration will be victory over our enemies, that is, our deeds that are, were not the deeds of God. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3.21-22. through 22. <clears throat> The one whose name, who has the name Simeon written upon his gate, the, that one will hear the voice of God, and God will hear him. 
<coughs> that one and that one will because God hears him and he hears God he will be able to collaborate his cross with the cross of Christ because carrying your cross with the cross of Christ is actually not just a teaching is a, it's a song that is sung by the apostles and Christ because be, because of this tool we will be able to enter into the eternal city into heaven because of the cross it is the key the eighth name written upon the pearly gate presented on the southern side is the name Issachar <coughs> the fifth son of Jacob whose name means vengeance Genesis 30, 17, 18. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages, because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Based upon the meaning of the name Issachar written upon the eighth pearly gates, the principle by which we need to collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ is our ability to confess the faith of our heart in the good giving of uh, that's from God. Vengeance is not always a reward, but a reward is always vengeance. Proverbs 12:14 A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. The collaboration of our cross with the cross of Christ it is necessary to call the not existent in our life inheritance that is in the blood contained in the blood of Christ as existent in order to collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ, it is necessary to proclaim that inheritance that is in the blood of Christ as your own. You need to see it before you. You need to continuously see this inheritance. Then you will be uh, inspired to keep working your, your cross with the cross of Christ. And for this reason, it is necessary to continually focus our mind upon the unseen and imperishable treasures that are written in the Word of God that are written in the word of God in our hearts and in heaven. Isaiah 62, 11, 12. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, he, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called, sought after, a city not forsaken. And so it says, indeed, say to the daughter so that she looks at this. If she will not look at these things, she will not be able to understand the meanings of the cross and collaborate. Why will she need this? Why will she need to suffer so much? But when she looks at the, the reward that is coming, and for this reward, she will collaborate her cross with the cross of Christ. She will learn the principles of collaborating. The na ninth name written upon the pearly gate presented on the southern side in the is the name Zebulun, the tenth son of Jacob, whose name means prince. Genesis 30:20. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. The meaning of the name Zebulun written upon the ninth pearly gate, the principle of collaborating our cross with the cross of Christ, <clears throat> is our ability to rule over ourselves or be prince over ourselves, rule or govern ourselves. 
Proverbs 16.32 He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. <clears throat> to rule over yourself or govern yourself, you need to not just be patient but be long-suffering because otherwise you will not be able to govern yourself if you or I will not have this long-suffering. A long-suffering person is better than the strong or the mighty because he is able to rule himself and he is better than one who takes a city. Because you are able to long suffer for the, for the Lord's sake, overcoming, looking at the unseen and waiting for Him, then this means that you are better than the mighty. You are an overcomer and you will be able to rule or govern yourself and you're better than one who takes the city. Because what is the point of taking or, or taking over the world but hurting my own soul? <coughs> To govern over yourself as you rule over yourself is to control your mouth or rule over your mouth. The, wor the word <coughs> prince means, if you remember, is also one who controls or has was able to control or govern or rule over his horse. And so if you, your or my horse is not restrained and is not trained, then instead of actually getting to the point or to the place that you want to go, you will be cast off from this horse. The horse will cast you off. A person with a wounded emotion will never be able to fill fulfill the will of God carrying their cross with the cross uh, collaborating their cross with the cross of Christ and will not be able to be utilized for fulfilling his interests to be able to rule over yourself and receive the ability to collaborate your cross with the cross of Christ it is necessary to take the yoke of Christ upon yourself to learn his gentleness and his humility Matthew 11:29 through 30 Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light Matthew 11:29 30 When we uh, restrain or we discipline our emotion our horse then we will uh, direct his way. He will not direct us where we to, are to go because an undisciplined horse, it, it tells you where it wants to go and it throws us off. <coughs> it hurts him because he, he you're trying to control him, tell him where he needs to go. Our emotions want many things, but when the will and mind are in control, that the emotion is obedient to them and it follows after you, it helps you, it carries you <coughs> as a horse would carry, as your emotion will then carry you, that is obedient to you. But if it's not obedient to you, then it will cast you off and stomp upon you and you will fulfill what you want to do instead of <coughs> what the things that you want instead of what the Lord wants. <coughs> To learn to control your, your horse, you need to be uh, gentle and lowly in heart. Gentleness, that is in humility, is the wise and willing decision of confessing the faith of your heart by which you are to control your emotional uh, self, just as a horse is uh, disciplined. 
at the bits in the horse's mouth. Uh, studying what these bits uh, do in the horse's mouth, <coughs> this is as was the death of Christ for the old uh, or for the old man in us, the sinful man, because it, she begins to panic. She thinks that she's going to die when when she is to be she is being controlled because she begins to uh, suffocate and. And even the slightest uh, movement, she's already obedient to you. That is how a horse, this is a very sensitive place uh, for her. And so you need to pay attention where you're directing your horse, the old path of good or your own personal path that you have called the, uh, the Lord's path. Jeremiah 6, 16, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the way and see, and ask, ask for the old path where the good way is, and walk in it, then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not. <clears throat> and so having the, this, these restraints and having these bits, uh, you will... Apostle... James writes that a large ship is controlled by a small rudder, and so that is how any horse is controlled. And so our rudder is our mouth. If you will restrain your mouth and your, your words will become new, it is enough to begin not speak bad words. That's the first thing or ugly words. Don't speak any curses uh, or address uh, bad curse, cursing words against yourself or your people that are close to you. Don't speak any words of disappointment saying, nothing is working for me. What is this? Do not complain. You complain. And instead, of, instead, begin to restrain your mouth. When you begin to restrain your mouth, the Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit cannot help restrain without you. Yes, the Holy Spirit is the one restraining, but you need to collaborate with these bits, the Holy Spirit, so that he, you can uh, control yourself in your mouth. You need to discipline yourself. And suddenly a word comes out that you didn't want to say. Don't be afraid. Just say immediately say, Lord, I did not want this words, word to come out of my mouth. I, re, I deny these words that I, I just said. I take them back. As soon as you say a, a word <coughs> to a husband or wife that you didn't want to say, um, when you express uh, uh, anger or wrath in, in a moment is a temporary expression of of uh, un unclean uh, inspiration of spirit in, in that is present. And so you need to come back to that person that you said those words to and say, I take those words back. Maybe this person will get upset, but you need to say, I take these words back. I don't want these words. Please do not consider that these words are towards you. I take them back. And in this way, you will learn to discipline your mouth. It's very important. Because many holy people, especially in America, have become uh, uh, begun to use uh, cuss words. They 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 don't cuss in Russian anymore because it's it's terrible as they as they they've been taught. But in English, it's become a norm. This language is not uh, is not their first language, and so it becomes easier uh, for them to cuss. They see everyone's cussing, so they do as well. And and don't speak. 
uh, God's word in, in vain, God or Jesus. You never need to speak the Lord's uh, word, Jesus' uh, name or God's name in vain. In any situation, in any reaction, don't be using his name. Uh, this is what it says here. Learn, learn to control your mouth. You will control your horse. You will control your body. As soon as you begin to understand and control your mind you see that your mind are going somewhere else turn them back as soon as you said the wrong word take it back don't be afraid the Lord will not uh, account this to you as sin if you are working on this and taking it back when he will account this as a sin to you if you spoke it and, and are not taking it back you remember how one person told Jesus Lord come and heal my servant and he said I will come and heal but he said Lord although I am uh, a man under authority but I have soldiers under me and I tell him tell one to come and another to go why do you need to burden yourself just speak the word and he will be healed he he uh, believed in the power of the word and he he was a person who had soldiers under him and he understood how powerful words are when he speaks them and so he says you can do this just as I do uh, as I speak and, and words are my words are fulfilled so you can speak and your words will be fulfilled and that's why Jesus said I have not found such faith in all of Israel. And so he came home, this man, the centurion, and he and his son was healed. And he asked, when what hour did he become well? And they said, and they realized, he realized it was in that very hour that Jesus uh, had said, go, uh, it will be done in accordance to your faith. And so when we begin to, value the word of God and we I, we understand that if the Lord said something he is strong enough to fulfill it when you begin to value the words that you're saying then God will begin to communicate with you God can't communicate with us while our mouth is not restrained not new God wants us to sing to him with a new mouth that these they not speak bad things if anyone's speaking bad things when we will pray come out here and repent and say, I will no longer do this. If someone expressed their feelings or panic or unbelief or disappointment in their words by using the Lord's name, say, uh, come out and say, I will not do this. The next side in... <coughs> Prophet Ezekiel presented in three pearly gates on the western side of the New Jerusalem. Итак, десятым именем на жемчужных воротах западной стороны является имя Гада, седьмого сына Иакова, имя которого означает счастливая судьба или же благословенный The tenth name written upon the pearly gate presented on the western side is the name Gad, the seventh son of Jacob, whose name means a joyful destiny. Genesis 30, 10, 11, And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son, then Leah said, A troop comes, so she called his name Gad. <laughs> and so the principle that we are to collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ is 
to abide within the boundaries of your lot is to think not, not think of yourself more than you need to from us a shadow falls and we need to know the boundaries of that shadow and that means our power authority over specific people or situations that we are responsible for and so we need to know our boundary and the boundary of the shadow that we are to be under not understanding these things we will never be able to be joyful although we will convince ourselves that we are Psalm 68, 13, 14 Though you lie down among the sheepfold you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers like yellow gold When the Almighty scattered kings in it it was white as snow in Zalman Psalm 68, 13, 14 This is the principle of collaborating your cross with the cross of Christ when you know your boundaries and you are within them you know your shadow, you know who you need to not obey. A married woman is not ob obligated to obey all husbands, just her own. You're not obligated to listen to all at once, but just that you're the pastor in your church and the helpers that are under him, of course, that when they're in one spirit. <coughs> Sometimes uh, helpers can make mistakes. You don't need to uh, <coughs> pinch on those things. Sometimes people say, Sometimes people say, well, this one, he said this or he said this, and I say, don't pinch on those things. Sometimes a person, when he speaks, he can, they can add something of their own, and uh, you need to understand that you need to always level everything to, to one person. People not understanding these things complain, how is it I need to listen to any uh, preachers? No. Uh, you you can listen to other husbands, but hear other husbands, but to listen or obey one, you need to obey only one husband. Because if you listen or obey other husbands, you can become attracted to those husbands. So it's better for you not to uh, be obedient to other husbands. Listen to or pray to your Lord and ask him, <clears throat> who did you give me? Who do I need to listen to? When I understood this, when I understood this, I called and shouted to God. I said, uh, Lord, show me, show me that person. I prayed for a long time. In my surrounding, there weren't such people. The pastor was elected by men and did not <coughs> even know the scriptures. Uh, he was not an example for me or others. He was not a spiritual uh, person or authority. I prayed for a long time that the Lord show me and then the Lord showed me, not this pastor that was over us, but others that were before him that he had stomped upon. Because in my childhood, there were people, and there was a pastor of the church that I looked at, and that was a, an authority for me. But he had then passed away, and they placed another, of course, elected for. But the other was not elected for, he he established a church inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so he remained with me, I remembered his life, and, and, and he had the heart of a father. He did not have, have a heart of a religious leader, he had a heart of a father. And then the time passed and the Lord 
told me I'm making you a father because he gave me a heart of a father long, long before he ever told me. And, be, and when he let me know, when I already had the heart of a father, I became afraid. I was very afraid. I never thought that I would be in that role. I thought I wanted to be free. I did not want that responsibility. It is one thing when you have a heart of a father, but you're not responsible. But when you receive responsibility, when it, all of it is placed upon you, and sometimes people ask me, pray for me. As soon as something, I hear that something happened with someone, then this is a burden upon me. I sleep with that burden. I walk with that burden. Sometimes the holy people don't trust this and they say, pray for me. I said, I know I'm praying. But what, the fact that I'm saying I'm praying, it's a burden. Just as you have burdens when you have children, when you see that something's wrong with your child and in the night and in the daytime you suffer. This is a suffering. Responsibility is suffering. And sometimes the suffering is so heavy sometimes. And then I say, Lord, help me. When will this finish? When will this person stop being sick? When will this stop? It continues. Or, and it's a continually upon you, this burden. And when there's a lot of them, someone's saying something wrong, someone's doing something wrong, and all of this is upon you and pressure upon you. And I carry all this to God. And I agree with His will. Let it be upon me, but give me strength. And so it's very important to understand your boundaries, where you are under, whose shadow you're under, and what shadow falls from you. Don't enter into the territory of other people. Respect the sovereign rights of your neighbor. And never, ever enter and uh, argue with those that are responsible for you. Apostle Paul said, it's not beneficial for you. It's not beneficial for you to argue and be upset at those who are placed over you because they are caring for you without seizing those who are over you, those who are ele you elect, they will not care for you. They will care about their own glory and their wallet. I don't care about my wallet. And the Lord knows this. I care about the church. And for me, the house of prayer, or God's house, this very place is more precious to me than even my own home. And so I always want to do something and make it even more beautiful for the Lord. Sometimes they tell me, why are you doing this? And I say, listen, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for the Lord. Why did you put people in cloaks when they go on stage? Why did you do this? We could have given this money to the poor. And I said, you have your poor with, your own, with you always, but I do this for the Lord. When we understand what is the body of Christ and we will do for the Lord, 
we will be blessed before the Lord. Let us now bend our knees and our heads and pray, and all those who desire to come to the Lord, He loves you, He showed how He loves you, showing, saying, you are my beloved, my pure one. Although we have sins, in Jesus Christ He does not see them, especially when we come to Him, we have the ability to come to Him and confess before the Lord. And be freed from dependence of sin. Let us bend our knees and pray. We wait for you. The Holy Spirit is in this place to help you. Amen. Right now I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is on your side. He is not against you. He loves you. He loves you so much that right now He is ready to remove your weight from your shoulders. He's ready to deliver you from dependence of, of fear. You're holy. You are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You are protected by it. And the Lord is for you. He's not against you. The Lord is here. Close your eyes. Lift your hands to God. A sign that you're ready to receive from God what He desires to give you. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my sins, with my shame, with my dependence, with my sicknesses, with my fear. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, protect me, heal my wounds, heal my sicknesses. I believe in my healing. I believe in your word that is healing and that protects and that justifies. I open up my heart for this word and before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim right now that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am justified, and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with a shining face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May these blessings of the hills and the valleys be upon you and upon your children and be upon you and the nation shall say Amen and now all of us together let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.